The Recovery First podcast is a podcast that helps highlight local initiatives in Greenville, South Carolina, and as well as on a national stage in the recovery communities. Here you will hear a wider range of topics surrounding addiction, recovery, and amazing advocates helping to make a difference in the recovery space. If you or a loved one are struggling with substance use disorder, please contact us today by calling 864-787-3798 or by visiting www.freedomrecoverycenterofgreenville.org. Now let's get ready to hear another amazing podcast with your host, Mike Todd. All right, Recovery First Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Todd. Once again, this is a recovery share. And I'm just, again, I just come right off of my hip. This is not scripted. I don't think a whole lot about it. I just kind of do these. And I hope they bless somebody. I know it it, it helps me and and I, and I hope it helps somebody else. I hope you follow us and uh, keep up with us and We'd really appreciate that. But I wanted to talk a little bit today about advocacy. And uh, I am looking forward to uh, heading out to Las Vegas for Mobilized Recovery. Y- you know, when I first went to this in 2019, uh, kind of a little history behind this, it was founded by some folks, uh, Ryan Hampton and Garrett Hayde and uh, it's, it, it started really, uh, in a recovery house. They were sitting in the porch of a recovery house and just said, Hey, you know, uh, we got too many friends dying and this is a treatable and preventable disease. And, and they, 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 uh, started, uh, I think they went to, uh, like a democratic party meeting or something back in, uh, back then and, and, and started speaking. Uh, started going to events and uh, speaking about the disease of addiction and how we needed to begin treating people instead of incarcerating them. And I think they ended up going, getting in a Winnebago and, and, you know, just going all over the country. And in 2019, uh, Ryan was awarded a Facebook grant and he was able to pick a few people. Oh, I say a few. He got about, I think he got about 2,000 applications and uh, I think about 150 to 200 people uh, got selected. I was one of them. I, I went for, uh, for South Carolina, I guess. And it was just an amazing time to see us finally organizing and uh, really beginning to speak out. And to really begin advocating for recovery and mental illness was just an amazing time. And, and I met so many wonderful people that thought, and, and like I do, <laughs> you know, I kind of thought it, prior to going to this thing, I knew there were some folks out there, but uh, I didn't know who they were. And I got to find out who they were. And I got to meet folks like, of course, Ryan Hampton and Garrett Hayden, uh, Sean and uh, Chikisha K. Ellis and Carol Cruz and all kinds of folks. And 
I mean, I, 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 find, I remember thinking I've really found my people. And, and in the last couple of years, I've been working in this. We created the Recovery Advocacy Project, and uh, each state has a uh, chapter or, or a group or whatever. We meet every week, and we try to work with grassroots things from harm reduction to trying to pass legislation, uh, whatever that looks like in, in each person's perspective state, because each state has has uh has their ha, really has their own issues i know in south carolina here we'd love to get something done with harm reduction it was so much needed with syringe exchange and and things like that um you know south carolina being a very conservative state you know all that's uh all that's very tough but you know i, I can remember uh for me the reason this is so important for me is i remember I, i'm gonna say this and i hate to do this because i sound old <laughs> When I first came around recovery, but when I first came around recovery, um, you know, it was it was like 1988 when I first started coming around recovery and kind of going to some 12 step meetings and trying to figure some things out and, you know, realizing that I didn't want to live the way that I lived was living. And but, you know, and I needed help. And but. I finally landed, and and for the sake of anonymity, I finally landed in a uh, a, a program, an anonymous program, uh, in the Myrtle Beach area in 1990. I finally, I guess you call it, you know, stuck and stayed, found a home, found my pathway for recovery because I've learned, I've learned through through the years that um, there are a lot of different pathways to recovery. My pathway was. Um, a 12-step, uh, anonymous 12-step group. And uh, and I just think about how different it is today, and it's a dark, dark, it's a good different, right? How different it is today than it was back then. I remember, uh, I'm going to say in this particular group that I landed in, and thank God for, for them, I mean, they saved my life. But there was probably only about... Probably in the Myrtle Beach area, and there were no there were no meetings in North Myrtle Beach because you know North Myrtle Beach is a or maybe you don't know is a different is a different town right? It's North Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach, and then you kind of get towards the south end, which is Myrtle's Inlet, Polly's Island, and so forth. There's nothing on the extreme south end, which was there were no meetings of this sort, and there were none in North Myrtle Beach, uh, but there there were. About at the time, there were like three meetings, three what we call home groups in in the Myrtle Beach area. And I'm going to say there was maybe a dozen people that were were maybe 10 people that were really just core. And you were taught, I was taught that that this was a disease, that addiction was in fact a disease. But it was really only spoken about within this small group of people. Now, don't get me wrong. This this fellowship is all over the United States. It started in California. It came down, um, finally made its way into Atlanta and then uh, into Greenville and then Myrtle Beach and all that. But but the, But the point that I'm trying to make is you really did not go out of this of this little group of people this little tight-knit group of people um i was really afraid to 
Um, because if you mentioned back then, I mean, back then, and I'll say this, I hate to use this term, but there's only one way to really get this across. I, I really, because you, especially in the Myrtle Beach area, a lot of transient stuff and, 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 you know, you were just, you were just considered a crackhead, uh, or a, you know, all these, all these, this language that we, we don't want to use, but I had to use it just to, to emphasize what I'm what I'm getting at. But you know, outside of that group, even in recovery, uh, I just I just didn't I didn't talk a whole lot about it. Some of my family members knew, of course, they knew I had a, a problem, and and I'm sure they're grateful that that I found this little group. But you just didn't go outside of this group, and. I remember I was fortunate enough to live with a couple of guys, kind of an unofficial recovery house. We have recovery community organizations now. Back then, we we just did everything together. I remember there was a group of guys that I golfed with. You know, we we I, we did everything together. We lived together. We we played together. We went to the beach. We did everything together. And I guess that's what now what they what we consider recovery community organizations. But, you know, I can remember that it was just taboo. You just did not talk outside of this group about uh, recovery. And it it was really for me, it was only till about I'm going to say probably. About 25 years into recovery and thanks to Faces and Voices of Recovery, there was a film that came out called The Anonymous People, um, and and uh, people like Rich Jones and Mark Burroughs, Nate Tate, and and folks like that that I that I, I began to kind of open up and realize that it was it was really okay for me to say that I was in recovery. They call it recovering out loud. You know, I began to recover out loud. I've been doing that about for the last five or six years. And I I started getting on Facebook and it just, I started to advocate. There were just too many of my friends and family that were overdosing and dying and that were struggling with mental illness and struggling with what we call a substance use disorder. And I just felt like, you know, we we're not getting what we need. Uh, I believe there at this point in time there needs to be a a dedicated funding stream. Of course, we get a dedicated funding stream for treatment. We get a dedicated funding stream for prevention that comes down from the federal government. An organization called SAMHSA, which uh, comes down to Deotis, the Department of Alcohol and Other Drug Abuse Services, but we have no dedicated funding for recovery services, services like the services that literally saved my life, you know, for us to be able to live in safe places together, clean, safe, uh, sober living environments, um, you know, recovery housing, recovery programs and things like that, uh, recovery community organizations, certified peer support specialists, because here's the thing. And I've and I've learned this is that not everybody's going to walk into a twelve step meeting. I mean, and and I really, I, I, you know, I was out in the parking lot and um and I think about uh, Bill O and and who became my sponsor. But I was getting back in the car and I and I truly believe that I was very close to ending my life because it was just where I was. And he just said, "Hey, can I walk in with you?" And and really just met me where I was at the time, which was 
I'll be frank with you, suicidal. I was hopeless, suicidal. I didn't see any other way out. I was, I had been thinking and planning, uh, uh, my suicide and, and, and it was a miserable existence, but I remember him meeting me where I'm at, where I was. And at that time, it was outside of a 12 step program, but we have people that are caught that are certified peer support specialists that can meet folks kind of like where they are and they may not be ready to quit. But they're, but they can, but they can still talk to them and they can still encourage them to do positive things in their lives. And whatever that looks like, your recovery doesn't have to look like my recovery. That's for sure. And vice versa. But, uh, things have changed and they need to change. And I do believe that there's been the hell with stigma. I believe there's been a lot of discrimination. In all of this, I believe that it's it is it is very much misunderstood as a treatable and preventable disease. Uh, one of the things that I think about a lot when I advocate is I think about my father, um, who really, when I look back, which was part of my forgiveness process with him, was that he really struggled with mental illness and substance use disorder. He really struggled with PTSD. I mean, my gosh, he found his his father. And his and his uncle in months of each other in one terrible summer when he was 14 years old. And I couldn't imagine uh, going to school and people whispering behind his back that his father had committed suicide. And but my fa- what I will say is that my father never got the proper treatment. He never got the proper care that he really needed. What he got was locked up. Um, and there's so many people that are going through this same thing. And so I'm looking forward to going to Las Vegas and seeing my people and looking for ways to advocate, looking for ways to put together legislation, funding, whatever it looks like. I hope we begin to get real loud because I think that these folks are worth it. I think that because somebody thought I was worth it. Thank you, Bill, wherever you are. And thank you all for listening. And I hope this blesses somebody. And, and if you're thinking, what can I do? Just do something. You can look at Recovery Advocacy Project. Uh, you, can, you can Google Mobilize Recovery. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have the website addresses, but um, Recovery Advocacy Project, you can sign up. We'll give you alerts. We can tell you where the meetings are going to be, what grassroots things we're doing. We can help you get in the locks on. There's so many things that we can help you do. Yes, yes, yes. You can do something. You can do something and you don't have to be, think you're an expert. You don't have to be trained. You don't have to be anything. All you have to do is care about people that are struggling with substance use disorder and mental illness. All you have to do is love and care to help these folks. If you can write letters, if you can, dad gone, if you can carry a bullhorn, if you can, um, Whatever it may be, if you can, you know, sit through these trainings, we have some wonderful trainings. There's so many grassroots we can things we can be doing. We can be giving out in the lock zone. Um, we can we can be helping folks with housing, and and there's there's so much that can be done. We can go to our county agencies and and ask what can we do, how can we volunteer, what are the needs. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much for listening. And man, 
Looking forward to Mobilize Recovery. So 30 years ago, when I first came into recovery, we didn't have recovery housing. If someone was seeking recovery and maybe coming to meetings and didn't have anywhere to live, we'd basically try to help them find somewhere to live. And, and that's how it all started. It, we all started basically living together and keeping each other accountable um, in recovery. Now, as the years have gone through, um, it's basically turned into an industry. And with that industry, there comes a lot of challenges. Um, there's a, quite a bit of exploitation. Um, you know, you're dealing with a very, very vulnerable population. So that's the reason that we started the South Carolina Recovery Housing Association to help providers, to help other recovery housing operators, to help mentor them, um, to help to advocate for them and one of the things that we did right off the bat was we started getting the locks on into all recovery housing in South Carolina. We were very fortunate to get a grant from the Clinton Foundation and some help from the Recovery Advocacy Project and Challenges Inc. and Favor Greenville and you know all of them combined have helped the South Carolina Recovery Housing Association to begin getting the locks on into all recovery housing in South Carolina and to help train their residents on the use of naloxone. We believe that is the first standard uh, that we need to accomplish in South Carolina. Recovery housing operators are a very valuable resource to those suffering from substance use disorder in South Carolina and we want to advocate for them, train them, mentor, and just work with them with whatever needs that they may have. If you want to get in touch with us, it's screcoveryhousing.org.